Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, Equipped to Serve, a study in Paul's pastoral epistles. Here's Pastor Nick. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Nice to see all of you. Well, it's about four and a half weeks ago. Had a little bit of an accident, broke a couple bones, but uh, glad to be back with you. Uh, not quite yet 100%, but on the road to recovery. And I've wanted to be back with you guys for a couple weeks and um, glad that I'm here now. So, you know, a friend of mine told me this. I was talking to him. He's, another, he's a pastor. In, uh, in Europe, and he was telling me this. He said, God is right now, he's allowing your church to suffer together through what you're going through. And he said, you know what, that's a really good thing. It's really good for the church, it's really good for you. He said, because this is what the body of Christ does. We're one body, we suffer together. When one part's hurting, all the parts hurt together, we come and strengthen those parts that are hurt. And you know what? We have another opportunity to do that right now as a church family, because you might have noticed that our worship pastor, Mike, is not here today. It's because his wife, Marika, was in a car accident on Monday, a really serious car accident. And she's in the hospital. She is out of the ICU. She's stable, but she has a long road of recovery ahead of her. So, you know, here at the church, we're kind of handling things on that end as far as like, if you have questions about how you can help, if you have questions about anything regarding that, we just ask that you give them some space right now and reach out to us here at the church staff. We'll be letting you know as opportunities arise for us to care for them and meet their needs. But would you, uh, let's go ahead and pray for them this Sunday morning as we, um, as we get into our study. So Heavenly Father, we lift up to you the Payne family. Uh, we love Mike. We love Marika. We're so glad that they're part of our church and part of our leadership. And, uh, and right now as they're hurting, Lord, we hurt along with them. So we ask for your healing touch to be upon Marika. We ask for a, a speedy recovery. And Lord, we ask just for patience, for grace over her mental and spiritual state as well as her physical state. We pray for Mike and the kids, Lord, to have wisdom and to have grace and patience as they go through this, through this season. Help us as a church to know how to pray for them. Help us to know how to support them. But Lord, we look forward to you bringing them back here in person for us to get to be with them. But Lord, we just pray that you would surround them with your love and comfort in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are in our study called Equipped to Serve. You know that we like to study through books of the Bible here at Whitefields, and we're currently in a study going through what are called the pastoral epistles. Those are three letters written by the Apostle Paul to two young pastors way back in the day, 2,000 years ago in the early stages of the Christian church. And so these two young pastors, they were named Timothy and Titus. So we're studying through the books of First and Second Timothy and Titus. We're currently in Second Timothy as we work our way through these books. Second Timothy chapter two, we're gonna be picking up in verse eight today. So open there in your Bible apps and in your Bibles. And as you open there, please bow your heads with me. Let's pray one more time as we ask God to give us illumination by his spirit into his word. So Lord, we ask that you would speak to us during this time. Help us to understand your word. Lord, help us to put it into practice in our lives. 
Lord, we ask that this time of studying your word, it would transform our minds and hearts and shape us into the people you desire us to become. So Lord, we ask, we welcome you to challenge us during this time. We welcome you to bring comfort, encouragement, and insight. In all these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, several years ago, my wife Rosemary and I, we stood before friends and family on our wedding day, and we took vows of love and faithfulness to one another. We said those famous words, that we would be faithful to one another until death do us part. Now, every year, on average, 4.2 million people in the United States get married. And each one of those 4.2 million people promises to be faithful to their spouse for the rest of their life. A faithfulness is something that we as human beings recognize innately as being a very good and very important thing. In fact, you could say that faithfulness is an essential aspect. It's a foundation for all of our most important relationships in life, whether it's marriage or friendship or even a relationship with a sports team or a brand of, of things that you purchase, right? We often talk about being a faithful friend as opposed to being a fickle friend or being a faithful fan as opposed to being a fair weather fan. We talk about brand loyalty, which is when you're faithful to buy a certain kind of car or shoes or electronics or whatever else. To be faithful means that you're loyal. It means you're consistent and reliable, that you stick it out over the long haul, that you're committed and unwavering, that you have dedication and integrity. And yet, even though we know that faithfulness is a good thing, the fact is that as people, we have a problem with faithfulness. We struggle at actually being faithful. Of the 4.2 million people who get married every year, almost half of those marriages will end in divorce. So even though we recognize that faithfulness is a good thing, the truth is that many of us struggle with actually being faithful over the long haul. We struggle with being faithful to our promises. We struggle with being faithful to our commitments. And our struggle with faithfulness is a really big problem, especially, okay, we can say it's a problem when it comes to our relationships with others, right? But even more so, it's an even bigger problem when it comes to our relationship with God. You see, if you're not a faithful friend, it will often lead to the end of, of that friendship. If you're not a faithful spouse, it might lead to the end of your marriage. But then the question is this, what role then does faithfulness play in your relationship with God? Because although you have many relationships in your life, there are some relationships that are more important than others. And according to Jesus, the most important relationship that you will ever have is your relationship with God because your relationship with God determines so much about both your experience in this life and your destiny for all of eternity. And faithfulness plays a very important role in your relationship with God. Throughout the Bible, we see that when God enters into relationship with people, he enters into a particular kind of relationship called a covenant. Now, a covenant is a relationship between two partners— who make binding promises to each other. Two partners, partners who make binding promises to each other. Kind of like in a marriage, right? Because that is a kind of covenant. 
So each person who enters into the covenant says, here's what I'm going to do. This will be my part in the relationship. I promise to do this. And the other person says, okay, and I promise to do this. And that covenant that they agree upon is then the basis of their relationship. And this is why we read in the Bible that when God entered into a covenant with people, he would often say things like, you will be my people and I will be your God. I will be faithful to you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll love you, care for you, and lead you. But your part in the relationship, God says, is I want you then in return to be faithful to me. Now, what does it mean to be faithful to God? Faithfulness to God means obeying his instructions, doing what he says, treating him as the Lord of your life, following what he calls you to do, rather than doing whatever else you might feel like doing instead. And that's where it gets tricky, you see? That's where it gets tricky, because if you fail to do any of those things, obey him, follow him, etc., then you have failed to hold up your end of the covenant. Rather than being faithful, you have been faithful. Less. And here's the question. What happens to your relationship with God in that case if you have not been faithful, but you've been faithless? Now, that's a really important question because consider something that Jesus said. Speaking to Jesus' disciples, right, speaking to his disciples about the hardships that they were going to face as a result of following him, Jesus told them this. He said, but if you remain faithful to the end you will be saved. That's a pretty big thing to say. If you remain faithful to the end, you will be saved. So clearly, faithfulness is really important. And so what does it take to ensure that you will be faithful to the end? And what hope is there for those of us who have struggled with being faithful to God or who at times have been faithless rather than faithful in our relationship with God? Well, here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to see the answers to those questions. The title of today's message is Faithful to the End. And what we're going to see in 2 Timothy 2 verses 8 through 13 is this. Jesus is our example of faithfulness. He's also the reward for faithfulness. And he is the hope for the faithless. I'm going to tell you that sentence one more time. Then we're going to use that as our guide and as our outline as we work through the verses in this passage. You ready? Jesus is our example of faithfulness. He's the reward for faithfulness. And he's the hope for the faithless. Let's take that sentence and break it down into three parts. We'll use it as our outline for this passage. All right, ready? First part. Jesus is our example of faithfulness. We pick up where we left off here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Paul the Apostle, writing to Timothy, says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as I preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. This letter, 2 Timothy, it is the very last letter that Paul the Apostle ever wrote before he died. He wrote it from a prison cell in Rome. Just a short time after he wrote this, this letter, Paul was executed and killed. He was beheaded. And here in this letter, he talks about that. He knows that he is going to die, that he's not going to make it out of this prison cell alive. He says at one point, the time for my departure is near. Paul was an older man at this point when he wrote this letter, but he wrote it to a much younger man named Timothy, who still had a lot of life ahead of him. Timothy was a young pastor. He had served for many years alongside the Apostle Paul during Paul's missionary journeys. 
And now at this time, Timothy was serving as the pastor of a large influential church in the city of Ephesus in modern day Turkey. Now that church was started by the Apostle Paul during Paul's third missionary journey. But after Paul had left that church and handed it over to local leaders, the church had begun to struggle. And the reason it began to struggle is because false teachings and unhealthy practices had been allowed to take root in the church and they were being tolerated and they had taken root and now they had really caused a lot of damage in the church. And so Timothy was brought in in order to take charge, fix the problems, right the ship, bring the church back to health. But understand, for Timothy, that was not an easy task because Timothy's presence in the church of Ephesus wasn't welcomed by everyone. And his efforts to fix what was wrong in the church were often met with opposition. And so Paul wrote these two letters to Timothy to encourage him in his calling as a pastor and in the important work that he was doing in Ephesus. But this letter, 2 Timothy, is special because of the fact that Paul knows that he's about to die. He knows that the very next footsteps he hears coming down the hall could be those of his executioner. And as a result, there is a sense of clarity to this letter. There's a sense of focus, which is that of a man who knows that he's about to die. And these are the last words that he's ever going to get to say to his friend, Timothy. This man he loves like a son. And not just Timothy, but he knows this letter is going to be passed around. It's going to be read by many other people for a long time. This is his last words that he has to say. You know, these past few weeks that I've been away, I, I've still kept in touch with the other pastors. They did a great job, by the way. I, I listened to all their messages, watched online, just like maybe some people are uh, doing right now. And so I would, you know, just kind of encourage them throughout the week about how to, you know, preach and what to say maybe. And one of the things I, I reminded them about is about something that I think about often when I'm going to open up the Bible in front of a group of people. It's a quote from a Puritan pastor a couple hundred years ago, named Richard Baxter. And I love this quote. I think about it every time I preach. He said this about the way his, he preached. He said, I preached as if never to preach again, as a dying man to dying men. And man, that's what we see here with the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy. He's about to die. He has one more letter left in him. And that's why this letter is characterized by clarity and focus on things that really matter. One of the things that really matters to Paul to communicate to Timothy is the importance of finishing well. It's as if Paul's been running his race and now he's rounded that corner and he can see the finish line. And from that place of getting near the finish line, Paul then turns and calls back to Timothy who still has a lot of race ahead of him. And he's saying, Timothy, don't give up, man. You're gonna make it, keep going. It might be hard sometimes. It will be hard sometimes, but it's worth it. In this letter, Paul is encouraging Timothy to be faithful to the end. And here in chapter two, particularly, Paul has been encouraging Timothy to persevere and be faithful to the end, even in the face of trials and hardships. And that's why he says here in chapter two, verse eight, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, because here's why. In the person of Jesus Christ, we see the ultimate example of what it means to be faithful to the end. In the Gospel of John, chapter six, Jesus explained to his disciples, for I have come down from heaven, he said, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. 
Jesus was sent on a mission by the Father, and he was faithful to carry out that mission to completeness. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus declared that he had indeed accomplished the work that the Father gave him to do. And yet, his work wasn't finished yet. He still had one great trial ahead of him, the greatest of all trials. And on the night before he was arrested, Jesus went with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is essentially, it's a public park right on the edge of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus went there with his disciples to pray and to wait for the people who were coming to arrest him and take him off to be killed. Now think about that. That is a crazy thing to think about. People are coming to kill him. And rather than running away, rather than hiding, rather than even slowly walking in a different direction, Jesus went and waited in the exact place where he knew that they were going to come looking for him. Now, why would anyone do something like that? It's because Jesus did not only come to teach and to perform good works. Jesus came, the ultimate mission that Jesus came here to accomplish was to bring about salvation for people by giving his life as a ransom for many. Now in Hebrews chapter 10, speaking about Jesus, there's this reference from the Old Testament that's, that's applied to Jesus. Essentially, words put in his mouth, but rightly so. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse seven, here's what it says. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. You see, Jesus is the ultimate example of faithfulness because the mission he came to accomplish, it wasn't something that was just limited to his three years of public ministry or even just to his 32 years of life here on earth. The mission that Jesus came to accomplish is what was written about him in the scroll of the book. It's what the entire Bible, and here when I say that, I, I mean particularly the Old Testament, the part of the Bible that was written before Jesus. It speaks of Jesus' mission and what he came here to do. You see, all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible, we read about the creation of the world, how God created the world in love, and everything he created, he looked at it and he said, it's good. And then God created human beings, men and women, and he looked at them and he said, it's very good. And yet those first ancestors of ours, given the choice between faithfulness to God and faithlessness, they chose faithlessness. Rather than trusting God enough to do what he said, they chose not to trust him. They rebelled against him. And as a result of their actions, they brought a curse upon themselves and a curse upon all of creation. That curse was the curse of sin, which leads to death. And the result of it was shame and separation from God. And yet right there at the very beginning of the Bible, at the beginning of human history, God spoke and made a declaration that even though we had made this mess, he was going to do something to fix it. He promised that one day he was going to send a person and that person would come and he would destroy the evil one and remove the curse. And the way he would do it would involve receiving a fatal wound that would cost him his life. And yet through his death, he would bring about this life-giving victory over Satan, sin, and death for all of us. 
And then throughout the Old Testament, God began to reveal more and more about this person who was going to come, who became known as the Messiah, the anointed one. We learn that the way that sins, as we go through the Old Testament, the way that sin is paid for and atoned for is through sacrifice and the shedding of blood. And God revealed that this promised Savior would be a descendant of Abraham from the Jewish tribe of Judah, that he would be a descendant of King David, that he would suffer and die. And somehow, though, he would also rise again and live forever. And that's why here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells us, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. The fact that Jesus is the offspring of David, that Jesus not only died but rose from the grave, this points us to the fact that Jesus is the ultimate example of God's faithfulness to us. Jesus was faithful to do all the Father had sent him to do. And as Jesus hung on the cross, we read in John chapter 19, verse 28, it says, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished so that scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And then with his dying breath, he declared, it is finished. Jesus is the ultimate example of faithfulness to the Father, even in the face of hardships, trials, and pain. And Jesus is the ultimate example of God's faithfulness to us in that he kept his promise throughout the ages to bring us the Savior and Redeemer to rescue us and set us free from the curse of sin and death. And that's why the writer to Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and founder of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our example of what it means to be faithful to the end. And his example is there to motivate us to be faithful as well. But it brings us to the second part of our sentence. Jesus is not only our example of faithfulness. He is also the reward for faithfulness. When Paul says in verse eight, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead as I preached in my gospel. The word gospel, it means a proclamation of good news. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, having been faithful to the Father, having faithfully brought about the completion of this great plan for salvation for people like us, having done all of that, Jesus not only died, but he rose from the dead. Now remember, as Paul writes this letter, he knows that he only has a matter of days, maybe weeks to live. And yet here he is encouraging Timothy to be faithful, even in the face of hardship. Why? Because Jesus is not only our example of faithfulness, he's also the reward for faithfulness. Here in 2 Timothy, every verse of this letter drips with the awareness of Paul's impending death. So just think how incredibly important and meaningful it would have been for Paul to know that Jesus rose from the dead. Because the hope of the gospel is not only that Jesus died so our sins could be forgiven, it's also that Jesus rose from the grave so that we who believe in him might also rise again to eternal life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul the apostle wrote that Jesus, he explained that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have been raised from the dead to eternal life. Now that's important because there were other people in the Bible who died 
and through a miracle of God's grace, were brought back to life. Lazarus, for example, we read about that in the Gospel of John. A man who was dead for four days, Jesus came and, and brought him back to life. In the Old Testament, in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, we read about children who were brought back to life from death by the, the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha. And yet, none of those people are still alive today because having been brought back to life from death, a little bit later, they died again. In other words, their resurrections were only a temporary fix. They, they, were, a temp they were a band-aid on the problem of death, but they weren't a solution. What's unique about Jesus' resurrection is that he resurrected never to die again. He rose again and he lives forever. And that is the kind of resurrection that awaits all those who put their faith in him. And that's why Paul can say here in verse nine that because of the gospel, he says, I'm suffering because of this gospel. I am bound with chains as a criminal and yet I have hope because Jesus Christ rose from the grave and because Paul's faith was in Jesus he knows that even the end of his life here on earth will not be the end of him. Even though he will die, he is going to live forever because Jesus accomplished his mission and he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for good and making a way for us to have eternal life. In one of my favorite verses in this entire book, I thought about just, should I just wait till I get there? But I, I gotta share it with you now. It's at the end of the letter, and Paul says this extremely profound thing at the end of this letter. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 18, he says this, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Now that is a very interesting statement considering that shortly after he wrote those words, Paul literally had his head cut off. So was Paul wrong? When he said, the Lord's going to save me from every evil deed. And then he got his head cut off. Was Paul wrong? Not at all. You know why? Paul knew that God would not prevent every bad thing from happening to him. He'd, he'd suffered through enough bad things up until that point to know that much. But his ultimate hope was that in the end, God would indeed rescue him from every kind of evil by bringing him into his heavenly kingdom. Friends, the same is true for you and me. God may not prevent every bad thing from happening to you, but the great hope of the gospel, the hope that puts steel in your spine, is the hope that God will ultimately rescue you from every kind of evil by bringing you safely into his heavenly kingdom. You see, through Jesus' death on the cross and by his resurrection, Jesus destroyed the power of death and opened up the way for eternal life. It reminds me of a story I heard about a man, a pastor named Donald Barnhouse. Back in the day, Donald Barnhouse was a well-known young pastor in the city of Philadelphia. He pastored a large church when he was in his 30s, and he was really well-known in that area. But in his late 30s, when he was 38 years old, his wife died of cancer, and this left him alone with four children, all under the age of 12. And as Donald Barnhouse was driving his children to their mother's funeral, his wife's funeral. The kids were asking him in the car, he tells the story, his kids were asking him in the car, how can this happen? If God loves us, if we serve him, like, like how can this happen? How is this fair? 
and right as they were discussing this, he says that they were kind of like stopped in, in an intersection, near an intersection, and this giant truck just came barreling past them, almost hitting them, and it surprised all the children, kind of like startled them all and, and scared them, and it cast its shadow over them as it drove by. And Donald took the opportunity and he asked his kids, tell me, kids, which is better, to, to be hit by that truck or to be hit by its shadow? And his 11-year-old son answered and said, well, obviously, it's better to be hit by the shadow. And his father replied and he said, exactly. That's what happened to your mother. Only the shadow of death passed over her because Jesus took the hit of death himself. You see, Jesus took the sting of death. He absorbed the poison of death so that for us who are in him, death has lost its sting. It can no longer destroy us. It no longer rules over us because though we die, yet we will live better and forever because of what Jesus accomplished for us. The reward for faithfulness is getting to be with him in his kingdom forever where death and suffering, infirmity and pain are no more. And you know what? What will make heaven heavenly is not if your cat will be there or it's not that the streets are paved with gold. You know what makes heaven heavenly is that God will be there. Jesus is there. He is the reward, the author of all that is good and true, beautiful and lovely. The fact that the Bible says that the streets of heaven are paved with gold you know what that means? It doesn't mean when you get to heaven, you're going to be like, these streets are awesome. I love these streets. You know what it means? Right now, when you go out on the street, you're not really that impressed with the asphalt that you walk upon, are you? You're not trying to dig it up and put it in your pockets. I hope not, because it's going to cost us a lot of money to repave that thing. But listen, what that means, that the streets are paved with gold, it means that in heaven, values will be so changed from what they are here on earth that the things that people go to war over here on earth and fight over and are obsessed with and live their lives for, in heaven, it's going to be like asphalt under your feet. It's going to be the last thing that you ever think about. But the real treasure in heaven will be that Jesus is there and you will be with him and with those who along with you have been redeemed. That's the treasure of heaven. That's the reward for faithfulness. And that's why Paul says, even though I am bound in chains as a criminal, the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Because Paul had the hope of eternal life, he was willing to endure hardship, trials, difficulties for the sake of the elect and for the furtherance of the word of God. When Paul uses this phrase, for the sake of the elect, when he talks about the elect, understand, he's not only talking about those who already believe in Jesus, but perhaps more significantly here in this passage specifically, he has in mind those who do not believe yet, but are going to believe. Those who God knows are his but they don't believe yet. They don't know it yet, but they're going to be his. They're going to believe when they hear the gospel. And Paul's saying, look, if me suffering is somehow going to lead other people to getting to hear the gospel or, or be saved or come closer to the Lord, you know what? If that's the price, then that's a price I'm willing to pay because I know already what awaits me when this life is over. 
And so knowing what awaits me sets me free. Now I want to spend and be spent. I want to pour out my life. I want my resources and my life to be poured out and spent for this most worthy of causes, proclaiming the good news about Jesus so that others can obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now for me, these words of the Apostle Paul are incredibly challenging in a good way. You see, this attitude that Paul's expressing here, isn't this so similar to the attitude that Jesus had? I mean, here's Jesus. He comes, humbles himself, becomes one of us, lives a sinless life, dies a sacrificial death. But none of those things that Jesus did were for his own benefit. He did all of those things, not for his own sake. He did them for our sake. He was willing to endure all things that we might obtain salvation. And now we see Paul as a follower of Jesus and his thinking and his values, they've been shaped by Jesus. You see, that's what happens as you walk with Jesus. As his word gets in your mind and your heart, he's shaping you. We see this with Paul. Having followed Jesus, now he's become like Jesus in his attitude, his mentality, his values. And you know what? Reading this, it causes me to ask. I hope it causes you to ask too. Do I have that same heart? Do I have that mindset? that I would be willing to pay a price and give of my time, energy, and resources for the sake of others that they might know the love of God and the good news about Jesus. That's a challenging thought for me. I hope it is for you too. And I encourage you, let's honestly sit with that, okay? Let's, let's not just pass that question by too quickly and move on. Let's ask ourselves that question and spend some time considering what it might look like in our lives. Now, I love what Paul says here when he says, even though he is bound in chains as a criminal, the word of God is not bound. Paul understood God's work in the world was not dependent on him. It wasn't dependent on his persuasive words, but rather in the living, powerful word of God. You know, throughout history, people have tried to stop God's work through legislation, through persecution. Throughout history, the Bible has been attacked, maligned, banned, burned, mocked, and twisted. But as it says in Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 40, and yet the word of God will stand. It will endure forever. Whether skeptics or governments or activists, no matter how much they try, they've never been able to stop the work of God's word in people's hearts. But you know what? The one thing that could potentially hinder the work of God through his word is if we who have his word stop proclaiming it and stop sharing it. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 10, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. But how can they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone tells them? See, we have this incredible promise also from the prophet Isaiah, through the prophet Isaiah, which says, God says, my word which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return void. It will accomplish the thing which I send it out to do. So it's important that we share it, that we share it winsomely, that we share it in love. But it is important that we share it even if there's some pushback against it because the gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. But in order for them to experience that power, in order for them to believe, they need to hear the message of God's word. And friends, that's why as a church, we spend so much time and attention teaching the word in various settings, studying the word. We want you to be students of God's word. We want you to treasure it. We want you to study it. We want you to share it. We want God's word to go out 
over the internet, over the airwaves, in books, in blogs, in podcasts, any other avenue possible. If there's an avenue, we want it to go out in that way because we believe the word of God is living and active and is a tool by which the Holy Spirit transforms lives and minds and hearts. And so, final part of our sentence today. Jesus is not only our example of faithfulness, he's also the reward for faithfulness. And you know what else? Finally, Jesus is the hope for the faithless. Starting in verse 11, Paul the Apostle says this. He says, this saying is trustworthy. And what follows after this is a four-line statement. Now, this statement, you might notice even the way it's printed in your Bible. It has a cadence to it. It has a pattern to it, which causes most Bible scholars to conclude that verses 11 through 13 are part of a poem or a song, or perhaps they are a pithy saying that people in the early church would memorize and repeat, which would make sense, by the way, because many people at this time could not read. And so what they would do is they came up with ways for people to learn and memorize biblical truths. And that's probably why what Paul is quoting from here is a well-known saying in the early church. And that's why he begins this phrase, this saying is trustworthy. Now, this is a formula that Paul has used elsewhere in these letters. This saying is trustworthy. Now, these were sayings that were probably used in the early church at that time to summarize and help people memorize biblical truth and doctrine, especially if they couldn't read. And here's how the saying goes. I'm going to read you the first three lines, Okay. First line, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. The first line, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. It doesn't speak of dying physically. Rather, it speaks about the process of being born again. Jesus himself said that in order for anyone to see the kingdom of heaven, they must be born again. Now, that new birth, it doesn't refer to a physical birth, but rather the process of coming to life spiritually. You see, whereas before, apart from Jesus, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, because of what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection, you can be made alive spiritually. And when that happens, you become a new creation. The old you the person you were apart from Christ, that old life is put to death and you receive a new life with a new identity, a new destiny, but also a new motivation for living and a new purpose and hope that drives your decisions. This is what Paul's talking about when he writes to the Galatians and he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this new life that we have in Jesus, listen, it isn't just a better quality of life, but it's also the promise of everlasting life for eternity to come. The second line, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Remember, Paul is in jail. He's writing this to Christians who at this time are persecuted and marginalized. And yet the promise of the gospel is that if they endure, if they are faithful to the end, then not only will they go to heaven when they die, but they will rule and reign with Christ in the age to come. What an empowering truth. But again, notice the recurring theme. If you endure, 
if you endure, if you are faithful to the end. The third line is a warning. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Now this is taken straight from the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, where Jesus told his disciples, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But if anyone denies me before men, I will also deny that person before my Father in heaven. Now this is a warning, and it's an important warning that needs to be heard. Yes, there is hope for redemption, salvation, and eternal life in Jesus. But apart from Jesus, there is no redemption, salvation. There is no other way to obtain eternal life. As it says in the book of Acts, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But the final line of this statement, verse 13, is particularly interesting. And frankly, it's surprising. And it's meant to be surprising. Earlier this week, I was reading this passage along with a couple of friends. And what we were doing, we were going around. Each of us would read a couple verses. And so when it came to the time for the person who was going to read these verses, here's how he read it. The person who was reading read this verse and he said, out loud, we were reading out loud together, and he said, if we are faithful, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, I understand why he read it that way, because it's the natural flow and progression of the poem or of the statement. If you deny him, he'll deny you. If you're faithful, he'll be faithful, right? Well, that would be the natural flow, but that's not what it says. Take a look at it. It says, here's what it actually says. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, this was written in a way to intentionally surprise us, to make us take a double take. When you read it, you're like, wait a second, that can't be right. And then you read it again. Does it really say, if we're faithless, he will remain faithful? Because we know how relationships work, right? If you're a faithless friend, then you shouldn't expect your friends to be faithful to you. If you're a faithless spouse, then your marriage is in trouble. And if a relationship with God is based on faithfulness to the covenant, then we might expect that the only way to ensure God's continued faithfulness to you is for you to continue to be faithful to him. But the surprising message of the gospel, shocking, is that even if you are faithless in your relationship to God, he will remain faithful because faithfulness is an essential aspect of who he is. You see, Clearly what this is showing us, first of all, is that there's a difference between denying Jesus and being faithless in your relationship to Jesus. To deny Jesus is to reject him as your Savior and your Lord. But to be faithless in your relationship with, Jesus, with God or with Jesus, it means that you stumble, you fail. At times you fall short and you sin. Perhaps you have wandering eyes and a wayward heart. And yet, despite your weakness and your errors and your mistakes, your sins, you do truly look to Jesus and trust in him as your only hope in life and death, but your obedience to him is less than perfect. It has its moments of inconsistency. Listen, if that's you, if that's ever been you at times, please understand that this is not saying that that is not a big deal. This is not saying that now you've got get out of jail free card. You've got carte blanche to do whatever you want, when you want. You can sin with impunity. You've got a license to sin now. 
Listen, because you can always just ask for forgiveness and God has to forgive you, so you found a loophole. Listen, if that's your attitude, that the grace of God has given you a license to sin, then you really do need to question whether or not you've denied Christ or whether or not you've actually ever truly been born again. But if you are one of those who is brokenhearted over the fact that despite your very best efforts, you still fall short, that despite your desire to be faithful and true to Jesus, at times you are faithless. If that's you, then this final part of the sentence is for you. To be faithless, it means that you have imperfect faith. Faith that isn't always as strong as it ought to be. Faith that struggles with doubts, perhaps sometimes struggles with believing that what God says is true. If that's you, friend, know this, that with Jesus, there is abundant forgiveness. And it is not the strength of your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith that saves you. And if Jesus is the object of your faith, he is mighty to save. And he is strong enough to hold you even when your grip on him grows weak. Maybe there are times in your life when you felt like you're having a hard time holding on to God. You know, near my house, there's a really busy street. And on the other side of that street, there's a park. And as my kids, you know, especially when they were little, and one of them, she's still this little, we would go to the park, we got across the busy street, and I would tell them, okay, we're going to cross the street, you have to hold on to my hand, that's non-negotiable, you have to hold on to my hand, hold on to my hand, hold tight, and don't let go. But think about this, what if we're crossing that street, and one of my children holding on to my hand, perhaps they get startled, perhaps they get scared, perhaps they're tired, I don't know. But for whatever reason, their grip on my hand grows weak and they let go. Do you realize that even though I told them to hold on to my hand, the truth is, it's not just them holding on to me. The fact is, I am holding on to them. And my grip on them, even if their grip grows weak, my grip is not going to fail. And friends, the good news of the gospel is that it's not just that you're holding on to God. The good news is that God is holding on to you and his grip is not going to grow weak. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus was faithful to do what the Father called him to do. It's that God was faithful to his promise to bring salvation by sending us a savior and he will be faithful to hold on to you and see you through to complete the good work that he's begun in you. And it is his faithfulness to you which then serves as the motivation and the strength to empower you to be faithful to the end. Friends, Jesus is our example of faithfulness. He's the reward for faithfulness, and he is the hope for the faithless. Please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. We praise you for your faithfulness to your promises. We praise you for your faithfulness to carry out your promise and to bring about salvation for people like us who need to be saved. Lord, thank you that you are the reward for our faithfulness and we eagerly look forward to that reward. Lord, help us that having this reward in mind would spur us on, motivate us to live the lives and fulfill the callings that you've placed before us. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would Fill those of us who have been faithless at times with hope. Lord, thank you for your grace. I pray for anyone here who today says, you know what? I'm pretty sure I'm faithless right now. 
Lord, I thank you that your grace is sufficient for today as well. And now, today can be the day of salvation. When they say, Lord, in spite of my faithlessness, I'm going to put my trust in your faithfulness and what you've done for me. I'm going to receive that gift of forgiveness and grace today. Lord, I pray for those brokenhearted hearts here today. Lord, that they would turn to you and find hope and joy and strength because of your faithfulness to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.